apart from that, I think I also see a totalitarian pulse. This ideology has a lot of uh, pre-totalitarian reflex, you know, this cancel culture, the moral superiority, this, uh, they don't hesitate to, uh, to silence and to muzzle those who do, not, who do not agree with them. So commission had to be described in a single word, technocracy would come fittingly close. Commissioners and EU civil servants are selected on the basis of subject matter expertise to carry out the thanklessly tiresome tasks of patching together the bloc's budget, governing its single market, and negotiating trade deals on behalf of the 27 member states. Culture wars, on the contrary, are too scrappy, too militant for the EU's executive arm to get embroiled in. Or are they? The notion that the great awakening unfolding across the West since the death of George Floyd on police custody in May last year may have spared the high echelons of EU's bureaucracy was swiftly dispelled the week of November 28th with a scoop courtesy of Il Giornale. The Italian Daily unveiled the Commission's so-called Guidelines for Inclusive Communication, an effort spearheaded by Commissioner for Equality Helena Dali and meant to be biting on all of the Commission's internal and external communications. The document sought to forbid from use such unwoke expressions as Merry Christmas, ladies and gentlemen, homosexual, or even citizen deemed offensive to stateless refugees. Rodrigo Balester worked at the heart of the Commission's sprawling apparatus for seven years, notably in the cabinet of former Hungarian Commissioner Tibor Navracic, before leaving Brussels for Budapest, where he now leads the Center for European Studies at Matthias Corvinus Collegium. Brice Couturier is a best-selling French author and journalist. A proud boomer, Mr. Couturier is also terrified by the grip of wokeness on mainstream culture, and he has written about it in his latest book, OK Millennials, Puritanism, Victimization, Identitarianism, Censorship, a baby boomer's survey of the woke generation's founding myths. Now we are so glad to have with us this week Mr. Balester and Couturier to unpack whether and how wokeness has permeated the European Union. As always, please rate and subscribe to the show on your favorite platform and consider donating however much you can on Patreon at patreon.com slash ondecencypod so that we can better afford our digital and physical presence. Now, on to the show. To cover this important conversation, we are very glad to have with us Rodrigo Balester from Spain. You're the head of a Center for European Studies at the Matthias Corvinus Collegium in Budapest, and a former Eurocrat, a EU civil servant. And on the other side of the line in France, we've got Brice Couturier. Brice, you're a veteran French journalist and the author of the acclaimed OK Millennials, Puritanism, Victimization, Identitarianism, Censorship, a study of a baby boomer on the myths of a woke generation. I think that's a good place to start with. Brice, before we, lay this, before we start this conversation, let's lay the groundwork. Could you define in a few words, give us a working definition of wokeism? And what are some of the key concepts for this conversation? Yeah, of course. The, the word woke comes from the Black Lives Matter American movement. Uh, in fact, it was a documentary, uh, an American television one, 
um, around Jesse Williams, which was made in 2016 called Stay Walk. And uh, it showed how the movement took speed after one more young black man was killed by the American police. So at the start, it's all about racism and what is now called racial justice. But uh, the meaning of the word, in, in my opinion, changed, morphed, if you like, and now it sounds like keep being alert toward what they mm. call structural inequalities, differences in outcomings between black and whites, men and women, and so on. And from, in my opinion, it relates very uh, deeply to what the Americans and the British called the Great Awakening, uh, a movement of religious Protestant revival, which reached uh, the future United States in the beginning of the 18th century. Because there is something um, deeply religious in this movement. It's a kind of religious revival from the left, uh, from the radical left, uh, it, by in, precisely because people who, who um, plead for the work thing are uh, deeply uncompromising and self-righteous. Um, it's well, work. Work is basically the same thing as identity politics. Um, it's something um, very pure, pure, purinitical um, in the way. Uh, you're supposed to confess your privileges if you happen to be white or male or both. Um, our, our problem is that it has become, it, it became the um, established face of the American academics and mainly of the ruling corporate elites as well. So, mm. um, uh, so, so it's something at the beginning very American because we didn't have anything like slavery in in western europe uh, our countries are not based on on jim crow laws as mm. they they got in the south of america until the 60s um we have not the same historical um past but the americans want to import this kind of thing in in our countries uh because it's a part of of their um, soft power if you like mm. uh to to um, to to uh, use our uh, youth um, against our own culture and politics. Our history is very different from the American one, so I pref I would prefer they keep their own problems at home, and we have our problems, and they are different, and work has nothing to do with our culture, our political tradition, or our social problems. Our problems are, the, the, most of all for me, the, the most critical I have, to 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 do against wokeism uh, is that in America you've got incredible high level of social and economic inequalities that we don't have in France at all. Um, mm. We we have the same level of inequalities uh, during the same the, the the last thirty years. If you take the the the, the, the real. Um, um, the, the real thing, the top 10 level is the top last uh, decade. You, you, you can see it's very, very stable in the time mm -hmm. because we are social democracy. Uh, they don't have it in America. So they use this work thing as, as a way to hide the reality of deeply social and economic inequalities. The, the work thing is simply that a part of the black community, although women are, are 
are able to join the economic elites and so everybody is happy we are not happy with this kind of system here we want more equality a real equality they are on on the cultural uh, war and the cultural fight we prefer the social economic fight uh, as a political battleground um Brice, before we pivot to the eu a little bit just one last question um what do you say to the people um, that uh, there is no distinction between what you call wokeism and traditional progressivism and that you would have opposed civil rights, for example, in the 1960s. Yeah, that's the main point of my book. It's, it's why I, I wanted to present myself as a baby boomer, as a boomer, which what I am. Um, I'm very tied with conservatives, critic, conservative critics in my country saying uh, it's your sons and daughters. No, they are not. Uh, we were, you know, we, when, we, when we were fighting for civil rights uh, around the world, we were fighting for solidar- international solidarity and uh, we were most, more, more or less uh, influenced by socialist ideals ideas so we wanted equality and we 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 didn't want we didn't fight for ourselves and it was not about identity politics it was international solidarity and with what is what is what the wokes are doing is fighting for their own little identities and sub identities all the time because mm. if you're a woman it's not uh, it's not it's not enough you have got to be a black woman mm. black woman uh, is the most a bit privileged too so you have to be a lesbian black woman but if you are ableist uh, if you are not on an armchair you're not uh, enough um, oppressed so you have to be a disabled black lesbian woman. You know, it's it's more and more uh, defending uh, your little uh, position in the society. And it's not about solidarity for all. It's not about mm. citizenship. It's about identity politics. It, it has nothing to do with the movement of the 60s. It has nothing to do with Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King fi- was fighting for the same rights for everybody, not... Mm. He told, we told us, and it's it's a lesson I took at the time. I don't want my children to be judged on the color of their skin, but on their character. And for me, it's the main thing. Uh, Wook want people to be judged according to the color of their skin. And I am colorblind. I don't care if you got a black. Uh, uh, skin or, or blonde hair. For me, you are a human being. I don't care if you are a man or a woman. I want equality bet- between all. I don't want special rights for certain people according to uh, the so-called um, uh, um, uh, misery- miseries they've, they've got in, in the past or their ancestors got. Uh, I, it's, it's, some, it's completely different from the 60s, uh, the, the ideals of my youth. Uh, we were anti-racist. They pretend to be anti-racist, but they are deeply racist. Uh, they think that uh, color of skin means a culture, and a culture means a politics. I don't want. I don't want. I, I cannot buy that in my own country. Hmm. Uh, Rodrigo. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. First of all, and I, I very much subscribe to all the points of the definition that were given by um, by Brice Couturier. I just wanted to to add maybe two things that's um, apart from that I think I also see a totalitarian pulse 
This ideology has a lot of uh, pre-totalitarian reflex, you know, this cancel culture, the, well, the, the, this, uh, this uh, moral superiority, this, uh, they don't hesitate to, uh, to silence and to muzzle those who, didn't, who do not agree with them. So there is a clear totalitarian pulse where I see actually a huge danger. And it's, I also see it as an intellectual regression. I mean, uh, what, uh, what Brice Couturier says is absolutely right. It's really the opposite, at the antipode of uh, some of the fights of the 60s. The best example is the one that he gave already, which is the color blindness of uh, Martin Luther King. Huh. Um, if you remember this this, uh, uh, this uh, mythical speech of uh, Gebre Selassie in the, uh, in, the, in the nation society that then was put into music by Paul Marley in the song War, say, until the color of a man's skin is not, no longer uh, important than the color of its eyes, I have to say war. And this is the, exactly the mathematical opposite of what the critical race theory and uh, the wokeism is promoting in the, in the, in the US for sure. Mm. And it's true that it's also, I would say, an intellectual disease that is typical of white elites, white liberal elites. Um, the, it's spread by them. It is uh, undergone also by them. It's, uh, it's a very narcissist as well uh, ideology. And it's true that if... If I had to find you know, some precedents in history, I think that uh, some Calvinist movements, for example, some Puritan movements uh. of the of the 16th, 17th century could maybe provide a good precedent. And well, uh. thank you so much for um, setting up the table so nicely here by, by fleshing out the philosophical underpinnings that structure the world worldview. And this is going to be really useful context as we move forward with with the conversation. And, and in fact, precisely the, the reason we're having this conversation is because we we're we're um, we're reeling uh, uh, at the end of a news cycle that has been uh, rife with controversy, and particularly controversy around a set of uh, internal documents that have been disclosed, uh, documents that were that have been shared by uh, some EU institutions and that have uh, that purported to. Um, to defend the values of equality and diversity, but which, in point of fact, are uh, worryingly akin to woke diktats. And um, I, I was wondering, uh, Rodrigo, can you can you take us uh, here and can, can you walk us through exactly what has happened? Uh, what what were these documents about? You know, you you spend much of your career as a year as an as an EU civil servant working in some of these institutions and in the Parliament, the Commission. Um, what has been brewing here in the EU, and what are what are these? Uh, woke, uh, what are these woke documents mm -hmm. about? Uh, thank you, Jorge. Um, the, you had basically in the last six weeks, basically two huge controversies that really made it to the headlines, you know, of the press, especially actually in France. The first one was uh, the campaign that was run by the Council of Europe, which is not technically speaking the European Union, it's another organization, but it was also backed and uh -huh. sponsored by the European Union the European Commission, to be more concrete. And it was a campaign about, uh, let's say, a happy hijab. Uh, so it was portraying the hijab, the Islamic veil, as a symbol of beauty, of diversity, and of happiness, and of freedom. And they were doing that with the, exactly the same uh. codes and the same uh, line to take, the same communication tips uh, that are used, you know, by a lot of, uh, of Muslim NGOs that are very close to the to the Muslim brothers, and they were in, they, they were doing that also with a mix of uh, naivete and uh, and dogmatism at the same time. So that created a huge controversy in France. It really triggered a huge one, 
and uh, and they they so they corrected the and they withdrew also this campaign very quickly and when we thought that the lesson was learned a couple of weeks later actually uh, it was uh, beginning of uh, of november uh, and then it, the the scandal was released end of november but uh, an italian journal uh, uh, published an internal document internal document that were the European Commission guidelines on inclusive communication. And so it was like a little uh, workbook of how the civil servants of the European Commission are supposed to communicate outside. So when they organize an event, when they write a paper, when they organize a conference, but also somehow inside, uh, indoors. Uh, it was supposed to be recommendations. Most of them were recommendations. Some of them were more than recommendations. And the problem came as well from the fact that it went extremely far. It It's a text that, uh, that gives a list of examples, and most of them are very, very dogmatic. It's really like for, for professional works, if I may say. Uh, and some of them were actually very controversial. Uh, I just quote you maybe the, the, the three, four that are most, uh, most controversial and most ridiculous and grotesque as well is that First of all, uh, no, no one was supposed to say any more ladies and gentlemen when you open a speech. The second was that you cannot even say that, uh, uh, oh, uh, Christmas period is stressful. You're supposed to replace Christmas by a vacation. So even when you are having a coffee in the commission with your colleagues, you cannot say, oh, my God, I have a lot of work at Christmas. You have to say, oh, I have a lot of work for the vacations. Then you also had another example that I found obviously very, uh, very shocking is that you, they, these, uh, they, they don't recommend to say citizen, for example. So don't so don't address Europeans as citizens because if you use the word citizen, you might be discriminating stateless and irregular migrants. Uh, and then there was another example as well that really sparked a lot of um, of, of love and memes and things like that. Is that uh, they, if, if we you want to portray a family uh, an international couple, don't use uh, usual names, Christian names like John and Mary, but rather use Julio and Malika, which, by the way, for Spanish people is is a nonsense because Julio is <laughs> as Christian and as traditional as you know John can be. So I think maybe they had Julio Iglesias in mind or something. Uh, and um, uh-huh. and then uh, so it was uh, leaked, and it did it created a, a huge huge controversy in Italy, in Spain, in France, in Hungary, in Poland. And the commission reacted very quickly and again withdrew those guidelines. So just, just, just to discharge a bit the European Commission on that, first it reacted very quickly. Second, it's true that the commission is a place where sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And uh, a lot of EU civil servants were not even aware of the existence of this uh, document and were not consulted. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, it's not the only one, uh, the parliament... European Parliament also adopted their uh, similar guidelines two years ago or three years ago, I don't remember. Same thing with the European Council and no one ever criticized them. So sometimes, you know, controversies and scoops can be a bit unfair, uh, you know, and in this case, the Commission was really like the lightning rod that attracted all the, the criticism when actually, you know, uh, the Parliament and the Commission and, uh, and the Council are not doing any better. Um, Brice, what do you make of those examples of controversies? Is that a perfect illustration of wokeism that you describe in your book? Well, the, it's the, well in in the weekly I'm I'm working on new weekly uh, called uh, Frontierer, uh, in which yep. I'm involved uh, um, 
we 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 published an, an inquiry and and investigation about um, the infiltration of Islamism uh, inside the European institutions, and uh, we 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 have proofs that this Islamist lobbies have succeeded in infiltrating some European institutions on the pretext of fighting against hate and discrimination um, of promoting diversity, they got power and they got money. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I admit that the Council of Europe has nothing to do with the European Union, but it's a loose organization of uh, uh, 47 countries, but it plays a role in promoting human rights in Europe because it includes the European Human Rights Court. Um, what the, the people who have been investigation for our magazine, our weekly um, about this case is that 340,000 euros have been devoted to the promotion of the respect of diversity and inclusion by the department in charge. But um, it was, it, the department was looking for referees and it found these referees in associations linked to the Muslim Brotherhood. And you, as you know, the members of the Muslim Brotherhood are in jails in many Muslim countries like Egypt, but they are free to raise money and, and campaigning in Europe. So you've got uh, something called the European Forum of Muslim Women. Um, these associations are fighting for separate swimming pools for men and, and women. They teach um, suspicion towards sciences as it's taught in our schools. They criticize Darwinism, by example. They are very hostile toward feminism or gay rights. And for me, it's something very surprising that the woke movement, which is so um, keen on women's rights, on gay and lesbian rights, are supporting at the same time this kind of extremely conservative Islamic associations who are fighting against uh, the, the, the gender theory. Uh, it's something very incredible. It's why something like uh, Islamogoshism is so surprising for everybody because you've got mm -hmm. an, an incredible alliance between the most conservative part of our society and the most progressive. What they have in common, by God's sake? Nothing at all, but the, they've, they've got the same aim, which is to criticize our liberal societies because they don't like it the way it is. Um, it's, it's, they seem unable to understand that in our culture, um, it's something very French. You know, we have we have got we've we've got what we call laicite, and it took mm -hmm. years and years of fights between the state and the church the Christian churches, the Catholic one especially, um, you are free by these laws to join any religion you like, but you are free to leave it as well. And in Islam, it's not the same. Um, in, our, in our laicite system, your identity is your civic citizenship, and it is not your religion. I understand that in most in a lot of Muslim countries, it's not the same way. Um, your religion is your identity. So I understand that for many Muslim people, if you criticize their religion, it's like criticizing themselves because they identify with their religion. But they have to understand that in Western Europe, and especially in France, it's not the, it's not the same. Uh, in You can make jokes about 
special beliefs. Um, you, it, it's not. It's not. A, it does. It doesn't account for an attack against you as a person or as a believer. Uh, we've got laws mm. who forbid racism, who forbid attacks on people because of their religion. But we are free to criticize religions because religions are for us opinions, like political beliefs. It's, it's, there is nothing different between a religion or a political belief. Um, I think we are free to say that liberalism, liberalism is a bad thing or that social democracy is a bad thing or communism is a bad thing. We are free to do that. So we have to be free to say that some religions are stupid, some beliefs are backward, and we have, and we have the right to make jokes about them. We, we, it took uh, a century to, for us to make us free to say that some religious tenets of the Christian religions are really ridiculous. And we want to have the same rights towards the Islam religion because it's just a religion and nothing more. And, you know, um, please, thank you so much for, for, for pointing to this, this juncture here between woke politics in, in one hand and Islamism on the other. I think it's an incredibly important issue, so thanks for, for raising it. Um, this is, in fact, even a point of terminology. Fran uh, French, the French language, has a term for this, or at least, you know, we, we've been trying to, to, to essentially uh, talk this into becoming an issue with the, with the term Islamo-Gauchism, whereas, the, the, whereas English doesn't really quite have the same term. In fact, Francois and myself, uh, I think, uh, can, can reasonably pretend to, to have uh, come up with the fairest translation. We call it the woke Islamist uh, pincer movement or the woke, the woke Islamist axis. But access. here, I, I think what Peace is pointing out is that the EU institutions, under the pretense of fighting discrimination, have fallen prey to Islamist ideology, which is a very discriminatory ideology when you think of it. And um, turning back to Rodrigo, in fact, uh, El, El Helena Dali, the commissioner, uh, the same commissioner who had com uh, commissioned uh, the uh, diversity report that you have just uh, talked to, uh, walked us through earlier, uh, she has also been meeting with some of these, um, some of the uh, Islamist, uh, Islamist-linked organizations that Brice has mentioned, like FEMISO, like the European Network Against Racism, like the European Muslim Network. Why do you think, Rodrigo, um, that this is happening in the EU? Is it because the EU is very opaque? Is it, is it because it has a lot of money and it doesn't know what to do with it? Why is the EU falling prey to something that at the national level we, we've all, we, we all are um, keeping a close eye on, essentially Islamism? Whether you look at Germany or France, these countries are, are very aware that Islamism, that Islamism is an issue. Why isn't the EU, in your view? Yeah, the, good question. But uh, for example, I wouldn't say that the UK, for example, speaking about another European country, is paying the, the same attention. Huh? When I see also like the, the level of acceptance of wokeism and identity politics among, for example, Anglo-Saxon elites, but including the European Anglo-Saxon elites, I think they're, they're, they're closer maybe to the what the European uh. Union uh, sees and, and thinks and says than actually what uh, you know is happening in France, for example. Um, so yes, no, uh, you know the, the only thing in common that uh, Muslim Brothers and LGBTI queer whatever lobbies have, they, there's only one element that I found is that both are minorities, and that's essential. So they have nothing else in common. It's true, except that they are minorities as compared to the traditional statute. You know, I think wokeism as well. It's a uh, and at the end, it ends. It it boils down to a self hatred, self loathing. It's an 
deeply anti-Western movements, about hating anything that your culture and your civilization produced in the last 2000 years, basically. And so at the end, all those who are not, you know, within this mainstream are good, and those who are within the mainstream are bad. And we, they're not looking to, you know, for more cons- intellectual coherence or consistency than that. Uh, coming back to the European Union and why they are so receptive uh, so, um, so to, to this ideology, uh, I also wanted to, to add something is that what happened with the guidelines on, uh, on, the, on inclusive con- communication, that was not a mistake. It was not a gaffe, as we say in French. It was not like... Uh, a typo, no. It was more the cherry on the cake. Since uh, in the last two years and a half, since actually Mrs. von der Leyen uh, Commission took power, there was a clear bet for a woke ideology, in, not only in private and in internal documents, but also in external public policy documents. Look, for example, at the Commission strategy on LGBTQ, on, uh, on uh, racism, and also on gender. You can find really like the uh, stop of the, of the, you know, of the wokeism jargon. For example, I just give you some examples, huh? but uh, you can find in commission uh, policy papers that uh, human resources professionals will participate in mandatory trainings on unconscious bias. So all the HR in the European Communion have to participate on training on unconscious bias. Um, they also speak, for example, about the principle, they will boost the principle of self-determination, so gender self-determination, so that's more like a trans question, without age restriction. Mm-hmm. They speak also about the, the unconscious mm-hmm. bias that needs also to be tackled, even in algorithms. They say, for example, that racism is often deeply embedded in our society's history, intertwined with its cultural roots and norms. And so let me also bounce back to what Brice Couturier said at the beginning, that this work ideology is very American and has nothing to do with our culture and our history. Well, please go and explain that to the European Commission, because look at what they're saying. They also speak about intersectionality, intersectionality time and again time and again. They speak, uh, they praise the Black Lives uh, Matter. They say, for example, that discrimination is often multidimensional and only an intersectional approach can pave the way to sustainable and respectful changes in society. And uh, I spare you doing the others. Uh, Why is that? Why are they so receptive to this ideology and to to such a great extent? It's difficult to say, but you know, the, the way that the woke ideology spread from the head, from the elites, you know, I think the same process is also happening here. We are speaking about persons who are uh, very much in touch with lobbies uh, and with NGOs, with civil society. The importance of, of NGOs in the European Union is decisive mm-hmm. and is all the more important that um, uh, obviously uh, EU, uh, EU, uh, EU civil servants, EU bureaucrats are far away from the ground. Every bureaucrat is might be far away from the ground, but one in the city hall is less far away from the ground. One at national level is still far, but not as far as European, maybe. That's automatic. It's uh, it's fatal. It's, it's, it, that's that's the way it is. And so at the end, I think that uh, some uh, quite a lot of people in the European Union tend to come to to confuse civil society with society. Full stop. 
And so at the end, when you only speak to representative of uh, minorities and you confuse them with the majority, you can, you know, um, actually step on those red lines. Uh, again, uh, I think wokeism also uh, builds its uh, strength on ignorance, especially ignorance of history. And history, you know, is not a discipline that is very well represented in the European elites today or the international elites in general, we, they are mostly lawyers, economists, but they lack, you know, like this historical culture that will prevent them sometimes to have, you know, to fall so easily into the traps, for example, of, uh, of the happy hijab campaign. Um, and so I think those are two factors that can explain partially the phenomenon. But, you know, there's a part of mystery as well. How is it possible today that the best universities in the planet, the best ones, totally fell into the woke trap? So basically, the, the smartest people on uh, in the galaxy, uh, and 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 uh, so I don't have a clear answer for that. How is it possible that the richest uh, multinationals in the planet are siding with an ideology that has clear Marxist rules, Marxist roots? Sorry, I don't get it neither. So there's a part, you know, of a, of a craze of an ep- intellectual epidemics that I that I cannot uh, totally explain. So there I must say that there is a part of mystery there. But again, uh, it's a fact. Uh, the European uh, elites, and especially I would say in the Commission and in the European Parliament, totally assumed already and embraced the, this, the, the words and the content and the meaning of this ideology and is very much pushing it forward, whether they have inclusive guidelines for uh, internal communication or not. If I may just bounce off what um, Rodrigo said and ask Brice, Brice, I, I, I think you're pretty publicly a very pro-European figure in the French national conversation. Um, how do you feel about this institution, um, this organization, which you cherish and love, and also see the kind of infiltration it's seen? How do you explain this kind of tension? Well, what strikes me the most is that uh, in the context, in the present context of um, the... Euroscepticism um, with with uh, Great Britain leaving us, uh, some of the people in Europe uh, having more and more um, um, let me say doubts about self inter- European integration. Uh, the fact that this kind of infiltration is coming uh, at the top of the European institutions are very bad news. Uh, for people like me who supported from the start uh, right. is, the, is the idea of European integration. Um, I can, you know, I've been living in Poland during three years, and I remember how people there were um, making fun about this kind of strange American ideas like uh, women's studies or black studies in Warsaw, where uh, when I was there, there was absolutely... Uh, nobody who was black, but they got the black studies there too, because it's American thing, and they had to do to have it too. So people there uh, at the start they, they they reacted with fun, as I said, but more and more they they became uh, um, tired of this propaganda coming from outside because it has nothing to do with them, and um, it it it's it's one of the of the reasons why um, when one of the causes where why um, people um, start to to um, criticize Europe and uh, and losing faith 
in um, the movement of integration I was supporting. So uh, for me, it's very, again, it's a very bad sign when you realize that mm. you pat your face. But one thing I want to add, because it, uh, I'm very happy of what Rodrigo Ballester said, but there is one thing I have to do as a Frenchman, uh, I have to say, is that my government, uh, Macron's government, is very clear about fighting against wokeism. Our Minister of Education, uh, Blanquer, is a very, very um, decisive uh, against this propaganda coming from uh, the, the from from Europe from from the uh, European institutions, uh, and it's because France protested because the French government um, protested against this campaign that it was suppressed. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to to add is that when I see European institutions supporting campaigns saying that hijab it just uh, it's just um, a, 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 a women's dress as as mini skirt or or having a longer um, or black hair. Uh, no, it's not. It, when you, I, I'm following on Twitter and other social uh, networks, um, women fighting against hijab in Iran or other Islamic countries, mm -hmm. uh, I support them very strongly because I'm a feminist. Um, and I realize that in some countries, hijab is not something like a fashion or trend or, or something funny that you can take or leave. No, it's something it's imposed on you because you're a woman and because you are a terrible temptation for men. So you have to hide yourself. And it's something I've been fighting against uh, since I've been uh, young in the 60s. And I will, I will always fight against it because I think women have the right to dress as they want in the streets and not they don't have to hide in themselves because they are wonderful. And, uh, uh, you know, when, when you support hijab campaigns in Europe, it's, it's a kind of um, um, uh, injury against women who are fighting against hijab in Iran. You know what I mean? Um, you, 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 you can... In the same in the same way, uh, saying that hijab is wonderful in Europe and it's awful in Iran. No, it's awful everywhere. Um, um, against, uh, um, I'm very happy that this government uh, has has been um, taking a very strong trend on this affair. Um, I hope it will be followed because you know a lot of governments in Europe, in Western Europe, are afraid to protest against even if they know very well that it's a, a bad thing that is that this uh, islamist institution is the islamist associations are infiltrating european institutions they know it's bad but they're afraid of protesting because they think they will be accused of being islamophobe or racist even uh, in yeah. france we don't have this i mean i mean at least this government has not uh, these um, um, mm -hmm. uh, is not afraid of saying uh, his mind, uh, telling his mind about about this thing, and uh, it's supported by the society, uh, especially you know I have to add that especially by people from immigration from uh, from uh, the Maghreb, uh, you know we've got a lot of people coming in fr French people coming from Algeria, in Algeria they saw two hundred thousand people killed in a terrible civil war between Islamists and the military, and they don't want to have the same thing here. So they warned us from the start, 
don't let the Islamists, don't let the bearded men and the veiled women uh, taking the streets in, in this country because we knew that we saw this film before in our country where we're coming from, Algeria. Mm -hmm. We saw that and we don't want to have the same thing in, in France because we came here to be peaceful, to live peacefully. We don't want this war. You know, so I think it's mm -hmm. it's one of the ones the one of the things Americans cannot understand because they they don't have hundreds of thousands of citizens coming from Algeria or other countries where the Islamists have taken power or have fought uh, civil wars. They want to. Be, they don't have this in America. They don't. They don't know. We have it here. We know uh, because we have these people. Of citizen, of course, it's citizens coming from uh, Islamist countries, and uh, we've got a lot of Islam, uh, Iranian women too, exiled. Uh, as my friend uh, Abnush Salmani uh, wrote beautiful books about how it's terrible to be a woman in Iran, uh, you know. So, so yeah. it's it's a part of the thing that it's a part of the picture the walks don't see and don't want to see. Um, as, um. You know? Brice and, and Rodrigo, um, you both seem to agree that uh, this work ideology is um, negative for the EU. But I, I want to push back a little bit. There was an interesting article from the Washington Post correspondent in Paris, James McCauley. He also published a very good book recently called The House of Fragile Things on uh, Art and the um, uh, uh, Nazi era. But he published a very long article in The Nation, which is entitled Europe's War on the Woke where he argues that wokeism is really a phenomenon of the Anglosphere. The social justice movement has gained far less traction than it has in cultural in US cultural institutions. Yet, Europe has gone fully anti-woke, even without much wokeness to fight. Rodrigo, are you fighting a scapegoat or maybe a straw man here? Are you punching in, in, in the air? You know, uh, allow me to uh, to lend some uh, some vocabulary to the walks. I think some walks suffer from a walk unconscious bias, mm -hmm. and maybe from <laughs> from their walk privilege or something like that. I mean, maybe maybe this journalist can ask uh, to Sabine Prokhoris what happened uh, six days ago in Paris Descartes in the university where she was cancelled. She can ask about you know all the intellectuals that in France, in Germany, in Spain, uh, in uh, in many other places of Western Europe have been cancelled. And also, you know, it might be right for Eastern and Central Europe. There, those are countries that are absolutely not sensitive to the woke ideology and where this woke ideology is absolutely minoritarian for the time being. And probably they are vaccinated against that because, you know, when you spend 45 years under a communist regime, that looks very much like, uh, you know, uh, had at least the same cultural mm -hmm. reflexes and, uh, and ticks and, uh, and tones than the, than the communist regime, you are somehow vaccinated. But uh, in Western Europe, I mean, look at the state of the of the of the of, uh, of the universities in many in many European Western states. S saying maybe this journalist can also ask uh, the two teachers in Sciences Po Grenoble, who have been not only cancelled by the students, but whose names have been uh, actually spread on the social networks, and mm. they were until recently under police protection because mm -hmm. of that. And not only under police protection, is that all that the students that were responsible for that have been absolutely you know, like uh, forgiven by the, by the, by the authorities. Uh, when you have a French government that is basically taking official positions against 
the infiltration of woke ideology, I guess they're doing that seriously. So, yeah. uh, of course, you know, to uh, to deny the existence of this uh, of, of woke ideology is uh, is again, you know, a very a, a mental mechanism that is very very a propaganda mechanism rather yeah. that is very similar to the one of communism. You know, of yeah. course, they are accusing you of something that they are and you are not. But they still do it. So uh, no, it's almost insulting to say that. And again, I think some journalists suffer from uh, from a woke, uh, unconscious bias, or huh. maybe it's conscious. I don't know. Huh. Just coming back to, to to the French government, it's true that they they are taking uh, clear steps. Uh, it's also true that sometimes they have more ambiguous positions. And huh. referring here, for example, to the fact that President Macron once said that yeah, there was indeed a white privilege in France which I think it's irresponsible. And also uh, the Minister of Education, Blanquer, who took very, very clear positions against the woke ideology, but that also, for example, I'll, um, you know, uh, did a little uh, an administrative document, drafted and uh, adopted an administrative document to make sure that the schools adapt to, the, to trans students. And uh, the trans ideology, and I, I, I use the words uh, consciously, ideology is probably one of the of the most toxic within the woke galaxy. Yeah. And it was surprising for me to see that one of the ministers that said very, very clearly what he thinks about the woke ideology and how noxious it can be, it was surprising for me to see that actually on that specific point, he totally abided and totally adopted the woke positions. Yeah. Um, Brice, do you want to answer this point or do you want to move on? Your call. No, it, 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 I think Rodrigo is right. Uh, inside our ministers and ministries, um, you've got administrations who, which um, um, go have a free, a free, free will, and sometimes uh, ministers uh, don't control everything coming from. Um, their, their administration. Mm. Um, Rodrigo is very right when he says that the trans ideology um, those days are, is really um, the most um, frightening of all the woke thing. And for me, the most interesting thing is that intersectionality is really a myth. When you realize that some uh, very historical uh, hardline feminist and um, in England, especially, mm. are now obliged to resign because they are attacked. Mm. They are attacked as turf, as a, um, uh, they, they trans exclusionary radical feminists. Yeah, that's it. And you, you see, you can see that some of these feminists are obliged, have been obliged very recently to resign from their position in the in the university because simply they said that um, uh, women women. Have uh, a, a specific specific body, and that you you can you can do everything you 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 want. Um, you you cannot become uh, completely uh, a woman. You can mm. pretend to be one. You can you can you have the right to be to to to, to be treated as a, as a one. But there are some things like you know, the J.K. Rowling. Mm. Books were burned really recently in some universities because she said that women have special uh, organism. That's all. She didn't say that she hated trans. Mm. That they, that trans people, trans lobby um, took it 
as if it was an attack against them, uh -huh. just to remind people that women are women and men are men. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. it's crazy. No, okay, but um, we are, yeah. No, I have nothing else to 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 okay. add as to yeah. what Rick, what Rodrigo Ballester said. Um, she actually, J.K. Rowling is no longer invited to the Harry Potter reunion, mm -hmm. which I thought was a bit <laughs> ungrateful, considered that she gave a lot of people a job for a very long time. Um, now, let's move on a little bit to one last, I think, counterattack, which has to be taken seriously, which is Europe does not have America's racial history. That is undeniable. And I think despite all the attempts of some um, uh, anti, so-called anti-racists, the racial history of Europe and America is very different. Nonetheless, there is one thing which I think we haven't talked about much and we would be out of fault if we didn't talk about. It is the legacy of colonialism. Um, mm -hmm. Undeniably, Europe through colonialism has shaped history, has shaped Africa, sometimes in some pretty tragic and terrifying ways. What do you say to people that we have a colonial mindset which subsides to, to, to our societies nowadays and that um, we are kind of um, ignoring the fact that, you know, brown and black people in our countries are not treated the same way. Um, please. Yeah, um, I, can, I can buy that, um, except one thing. I see that in Sweden, uh, in Norway, uh, where I've been traveling recently, mm -hmm. they've got an immigration problem, um, at least uh, similar to ours, and they never did they never took any colonies uh, in Africa or, or anywhere else in the world, but they they um, meet the same problems as we do here in France or Britain, or which were colonialist countries. So I think this yeah. argument is a bit weak. Uh, if we had this yeah. kind of problems only in Britain, let's say Britain, France, Spain, and Portugal, we could say. Okay, yeah, it's it's because we have been a colonialist country, uh, but it's not the case because you you know we are, it's true Germany had a, a little colonies before the First World War, um, so but it was not a colonial country. Uh, if they had uh, colonies, Germans, it was in in Eastern Europe uh, toward Ukraine. Let's say yeah, they've they've been colonialist in Europe. Um, by example, the Turks. Uh, have colonies in the Bal in the European Balkans. So yeah, it's a, mm. a lot of a lot of uh, Japanese were colonial colonialists too in in Asia, in China, in mm. Philippines, and everywhere. But yes, it's, it's, but first, um, it's a long time uh, we, since we we um, have these colonies have been freed. Uh, it's sixty years now, and even more. Mm. So uh, people who, who joined us. Uh, to come to Europe nowadays, they have never met any colonialists before because they are relatively young and the colonies are old. Maybe their grandfathers have been colon colonized, but not themselves or their own parents. So I don't think, but in, in a way, yes, I feel a, a, a bit more, um, embarrassed to, to with your question because it's true that yeah. uh, the look we we have on certain populations maybe um, uh, shaped yeah, that's it by uh, our old colonialist history. Uh, it's, it's, there is something mm. like that in it. Yeah, it's true uh, that because because mm. colonialism mind 
colonialist mind had um, a very racist um, basis because if you want to um, suppress freedom in another country, uh, you have to think that the people living there are inferiors, which was, of course, a shame to, to think because uh, some of these cultures uh, local were extremely interesting and we despite our ancestors despite them uh, and they were wrong um, uh, but you know um, time has passed it's like with Germany mm. uh, my father and my grandfather have been uh, waging wars with the Germans but it was 65 mm. years or se- yeah no 75 years ago um, we moved um, on and time has passed so I think the same thing. Mm. No, French, France, and Germ- French and Germans are the best uh, f- friends in Europe, and it's a very good thing. We mm. don't pass our time uh, complaining about uh, how horrible the Germans have been in this country. Uh, um, I I see mm. that in, in among the young generations in North Africa, by example, because I have many friends there, uh, they tell me uh, we are fed up with. Uh, um, uh, the leg- legendary history um, made up by the, the Algerian government, especially because they failed so much everything, and there are so much uh, thieves in this country that the only thing they can rely on is the legend of the victor of the, um, uh, the fight, the war against the French uh, imperialists. But it's it was long ago, and now we we are today. <laughs> so so yeah, it, it, there is something true in the fact that um, people coming from ex colonies may feel a kind of disdain, disregard. That's right. Uh, we have to fight against this, of course, because it's it's precisely racism. But we don't have to exaggerate it too much. Um, Rodrigo, are we the descendants of colonialists, the, the continent of white supremacy? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, actually, I, I, I am. I, I do agree with uh, with this, but I'm actually much much more severe as well with your initial uh, statement. Uh, first of all, uh, it, when it, of course it doesn't apply to, to Europe, and uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Brice in your answer, uh, Scandinavian countries that never had colonies. What about Central and Eastern Europe? Uh-huh. You know, when you read, for example, in one of the in, in one of the European Commission documents on racism, we will improve education and knowledge on the historical, cultural causes of racism. Please understand that for a Baltic, uh, or for a Pole, or for a Hungarian who until recently never saw an African in their own country, mm. you know, they had zero relations with them, zero, and of course never colonies. This is a bad joke, and that really sparks a lot of grotesque Backlash. comments yeah. uh, of course how, mm-hmm. how can take the how, how can you take the eu seriously if they don't even know if they are stupid enough to write those things ignoring like basic histories of the vast majorities of the european uh, mm. member states because actually colonialism applies to a minority and mm. then also more on on colonialism in general what i can't what i'm very critical about the woke movement is that again it's an anti-western uh ideology. Mm. They hate themselves. It's basically white liberal mm. elites hating themselves and self-loathing. You know? And at the end, we have the impression that only whites colonized. Only whites had slavery. Mm. Hello? Um, the, the Muslim civilization never colonized? 
anyone. Mm. So basically, they are the the the, the largest, arguably the largest religion in the world, but they never colonized anyone. Uh, the Dahomey uh, Empire in Africa mm. never colonized anyone. The Japanese, as you said as well. Mm. I mean, colony is the very history of humanity. Conquer mm. to conquer. That was basically like the driving force be, uh, behind uh, behind humanity for th- centuries and centuries and centuries. Mm. And now a very ignorant vision of history wants to make us believe that this is the monopoly of one civilization. Like, by the way, the same applies telkel, mutatis mutandis, to slavery. Can we also speak, for example, about the, the Muslim uh, slavery? Does that exist or not? It still exists in some countries, by the way, today. And so, again, it's not so much the problem as, you know, uh, of course, colonialism, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a bad thing. We can speak about it. But then we speak about it in every single country that committed. Mm. And not in this very, very Manichaean, black and white, sorry for using those words, uh, uh, fashion. And, uh, mm. and again, you know, we can maybe speak also about discrimination and racism in European societies. But let's not forget that European societies are probably uh, the ones that have been uh, more, most welcoming of foreigners in the last mm. 70 years. I mean, I don't see any other example in the world, except the US, again, a Western country, where mm. it was so easy to come and where you know people were welcomed uh, from different uh, cultures and from dif- different latitudes do you think it's easy to mm. migrate for a european to uh, to the gulf countries for example mm. or even to africa or even to south america no it's not so again you know uh, it's also very unfair that those who are heavily criticized are those actually who had the highest sense of hospitality and so that's why there i uh, i must say that uh, I, I totally disagree with this angle that we have uh, you know a past that we need to uh, to debunk that we need on which we need to feel guilty if we are guilty of something then the whole mankind is also guilty of exactly the same thing we don't have the monopoly of uh, of defaults i know the works would like us to be like that because they are so narcissists that they even think that only white people can be bad but no it's not like that. So no monopoly of guilt. Um, I think it's fair to say you've mostly agreed so far. I want to push you a little bit further where I suspect you might not be fully in agreement. Um, let's talk about Hungary and Poland. Is it fair to say that the EU institutions have been making Hungary and Poland pay for their anti-woke policies on immigration, on LGBTQ issues, um, for example, some of the inquiries from the European Parliament were started by the Greens, who are more of the most kind of advanced uh, Green Party, mm-hmm. Green uh, woke party in Europe. Do you think the EU institutions that make Hungary and Poland pay for these anti-woke policies, or on the contrary, do you think these governments are simply attacking traditional liberal values such as individual rights? Um, Rodrigo, do you think mm-hmm. it is possible within the EU to be anti-woke without having a political cost? What I, what I think is happening now is that, uh, again, as I explained at the beginning, there is a clear bet now from the current commission to move on the work agenda. And I think the examples I gave at the beginning of this, uh, this podcast uh, speaks uh, for themselves. Uh, and there is also a tendency to confuse those 
you know, with what we call the European common values that are embedded in Article 2 of the treaty. Article mm-hmm. 2 of the treaty, I don't want to get too legal here, but if you read it, it's actually a very generic and vague concepts like uh, non-discrimination, like the rule of law, like human rights in general, like equality between men and women, blah, blah. And again, there's also another thing that is important here is that normally the European Union is only competent, you know, within its competences. And so mm. it doesn't go beyond. That's the Article 5 principle of conferral of competences, which a lot of people seem to neglect in, in Brussels, in my view. And so here the problem is that, first of all, I don't like moral crusades with, uh, that go beyond your competences. Hmm. So when you don't, if you don't have, uh, if it's not an EU competence, then you know the, sometimes the best answer you can give is, uh, it's none of my business. Because again, imagine if one day you have a Conservative Commission, which I don't think will ever happen, but hmm. that we st- that is starting to 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 give lessons, to teach lessons to Belgium or to the Netherlands on their euthanasia or on abortion or things like that, uh, I really don't think is the business of the European Commission and of the European Union. So we need more a culture of subsidiarity here. Uh, and if uh, some Western European countries don't like uh, the conservative approach uh, of uh, Poland and uh, Hungary, then I would tell them, look, uh, too bad, but then wait until the Hungarians and the Poles change their government. They might uh, do. It's called democracy. We also have to accept it like that. And again, uh, so it's not, they, don't, they no longer have the, they don't have the competence to start with. And second, I think it's very, very dangerous indeed that you suddenly do an uh, amalgamation and, uh, between the EU uh, cons- uh, EU values, sorry, of Article 2, and a specific ideology that is at best very progressive and at worst very woke. Mm. Okay? And I think this is uh, indeed uh, that that can that launches moral crusades and actually that have that have concrete um, uh, concrete uh, consequences because today, as we speak, indeed, the, uh, the, the the funds of the of the uh, the this uh, how, how, how do you call it in English? I forgot. Like this fund de relance, recovery fund, yeah, recovery, recovery fund, but the recovery fund uh, actually are blocked for mm. Hungary and Poland. What are the reasons behind? Officially, is the rule of law and the corruption. Well, you know, uh, I have my doubts, and I have my doubts, for example, because I don't think that a commissioner like Elena Dali, who just launched. Uh, these those uh, guidelines has the legitimacy now to launch an infringement procedure against Hungary on uh, their uh, law on the protection of minors, which basically says we don't want gender theory and homosexuality to be portrayed for minors. It might be shocking for some uh, Western European minds, but again, they think it's uh, this is within their competence and says this is definitely within the circle of respectability. I don't want the commi- the European Union to become a progressive only political club. I think this mm. would might even kill it. Um, Brice, what do you make of this idea that the EU has become a only progressive club, which ends up being hostile mm. to anti woke um, government, so to speak? Well, for the first time, I think I'm going to disagree mm-hmm. with uh, Rodrigo. Um, I think um, what what we um, oh, the, the, what, why the reason why we blamed um, Poland and Hungarian governments uh, is not because they're anti-woke thing, um, which I support completely, but because they um, they became illiberal democracies as. Uh, Orban himself uh, said, 
Um, we are a club of liberal democracies, which means that we separate powers, by example. We don't want uh, that uh, a judiciary power will be uh, under the hand of the executive power. Um, this is what Europe is about. Um, you, uh, United States too, and uh, Orban disagree with that. He thinks that separation of power is not something European. He thinks that when you've got a majority in the parliament, you can do anything you want, including um, closing down um, uh, journals or media, uh, magazines or medias. Um, he, 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 he put a kind of kleptocracy in his own country with all his um, um, uh, friends uh, taking positions in, in the business. And this is a very bad thing for Hungary. Uh, in Poland, the situation is, is a bit um, uh, different and not so much um, worrying for liberal um, people like me, but still it's um, annoying. Um, it's it's it, it's it's not about woke. It's about liberal democracy again. Mm -hmm. uh, liberal democracy means that you have to um, um, prepare the uh, um, uh, that you you have to be ready to lose the power and not doing everything to keep it at any cost. And I think what what uh, Orban has done. Uh, we are not Russia. We don't want a kind of Putin uh, um, style of government. And I'm afraid that certain leaders in uh, Central Europe may be um, um, uh, tempted, uh, maybe um, 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 think that they can uh, they can behave the way Putin has done. Um, in our countries, uh, leaders are. Um, um, are supposed to prepare um, the the, uh, the possibility that the opposition could could win the power. Uh, that's the way it is. That's the way democracy um, behaves and functions. And I, I'm not sure that Orban uh, is on this line at all. That's that's my point. Uh, uh, we don't want to be too greedy on your time. So do mm -hmm. let us know. But Rodrigo, if you want to bounce on what Bruce said, go ahead. Yes, let, let me let me just react to that. Uh, just no 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 later than than today. Today, the Hungarian Constitutional Court ruled totally against the Orban government on a migration issue. And by the way, it was also a history, a history of primacy of European law. <laughs> Uh, so, what well, I think uh, we don't need many more examples to show actually that uh, that there is a real independence in the, of the judiciary. I mean, in a, in a real dictatorship, believe me, uh, the government doesn't lose the capital, so it's not governed. It's not ruled by the opposition. The constitutional court doesn't rule against the government, and actually, uh, in a real uh, dictatorship, I wouldn't get. I live in Budapest. I wouldn't get every day on my newsfeed news against the government and sometimes even against the family or even against the, the, the grandchildren of, uh, of, of the prime minister. Yeah. So again, there, I think it's, uh, uh, there are a lot of myths there that, uh, you know, can be totally debunked within one week in uh, visiting Hungary. I was in Poland, so the three days ago, and I think just like sometimes a little cure of reality can, 
uh, can help. And in, indeed, yes, uh, I think, you know, I'm a Westerner, I'm a Western European who lives here, and I don't see even 10% of what I heard when I was in Brussels. So huh. I think there as well, we there's maybe, it's not a problem of workism, but it might be also a problem of, uh, of deep mis- misinformation. But coming back to the, to the workism, which is the idea, I think this one is really crystallizing the controversy uh, between Hungary and the European Union on the law on the protection of minors. And there, when I read the infringement that the Commission launched against Hungary, mm. with unclear competences, again, I insist on that, but one of the questions, the, the main point was Hungary failed to prove that exposing minors to uh, this content is actually harmful. There, I clearly see, you know, like uh, uh, the, the, I clearly see that the Commission is embracing those uh, this uh, this this work ideology, and again, and and when you link it to the to the expression common values, and you link the expression common values to conditionality of funds, this is where I think we can we can uh, we can uh, we can get very very far. Again, there's a don't underestimate how shocking some policies in Western Europe can be. Let me choose one about, uh, in France, for example. Now in France recently, you know, there, uh, I think the, the, the parliament adopted like uh, basically like the uh, type, or type of abortion on that, uh, that, you, that has no deadline, that knows no deadlines for social uh, distress or something mm. like that. I don't know exactly the details, something like that. Well, you might be shocked or not. It's a French decision. It's not for the European Union to intervene there. And again, one more thing is that look at the laïcité, the French laïcité, which is a concept mm-hmm. that Paris that previously described uh, in details that is difficult to understand for non-French. Uh-huh. It's difficult to understand for a non-French that a, a mother with a veil cannot accompany a class to the zoo, for example. It's difficult. I do understand it. I do fully share it. But it can be difficult for the others. And then I'm sometimes I'm wondering that if we continue on that slippery slope of you know preaching on values, that the next target uh, of the EU political correctness might be the French laicity. We already had one warning with the yeah. campaign, the hijab, the happy hijab campaign. Uh-huh. What's next? Uh, when Macron one year ago pronounced his very courageous speech in Les Mureaux on October 2020, when he spoke about Islamist separatism, mm. how did the Anglo-Saxon press react to that? Mm. He was Islamophobic. Uh, he was only Islamophobic, and the Financial Times said he was Islamophobic. The New York Times obviously said he was Islamophobic, mm. and the Washington, the Washington Walk as well. All of them said the same thing. And at the end, you know, this is what mysteriously, surprise, surprise, the European Union seemed to repeat as well through this campaign. So again, we should be very, very careful because it's uh, to blithely judge some other countries and actually the next one to be judged might be you. So again, I believe in a European Union where that is that strictly sticks to its competences and that is a real place for diversity. I like this word diversity because... It's very ironic. Those speaking about diversity all the time think it's sexual uh, diversity, ethnic diversity, size diversity, any type of diversity except the one that really matters, which is intellectual diversity. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Rodrigo, you, you seem to you seem to argue that the EU's uh, moving against uh, Poland and Hungary is just uh, another instance of this woke drift to cancel dissent, uh, and I think that, yeah, partially, yeah, and I think, and I think partially, this, yes. this this may well be. 
the sort of the, the very last point, the, the, the only point on which you two will, will disagree. And I think we'll have to, to agree, agree to disagree here on, on, on this last point. But it's, you know, as, as old school liberals, I think we should be comfortable with disagreement. And one of the one of the more no noxious uh, uh, effects of, of world culture is that it it muzzles dissent and it, it sort of flattens opinion. So, so I think it's it's a testament to to the spirit of this podcast that we're ending on on a note of, of disagreement. So, th thank you, thank you both so much for for joining us. Joining us, this this has been. And and by by the way, if uh, if I may, it's yeah. just beautiful to disagree, and it's uh, it's it's uh, you know I agree, I agree to disagree. It's a walk thing not to disagree. It's beautiful to disagree, and this is what made us strong also in the last centuries because we were able to disagree. Exactly. exactly. And th thank you so much for joining us on, on this very rich uh, conversation. We set out to examine uh, whether and why the EU institutions have fallen prey to woke ideology. And we're, we were incredibly privileged to be joined by uh, Rodrigo. You are the director of the Center for European Studies at Matthias Corvin's Collegium in Budapest. And Brice Couturier, you're a best-selling uh, mm -hmm. author and, and journalist. Your latest book is OK Millennials, Puritanism, Victimization, Identitarianism, Censorship, a Study of a Baby Boomer on the Myths of the World Generation. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah, I know. Last episode of the season, very, very, uh, very impressed by the work we've been putting, Jorge. So kudos to both of us. Um, a very interesting conversation between, I think, someone who is more of a conservative and someone who's more of a liberal, um, who, who, and we saw that kind of disagreement towards the end. But what I think they both spotted is that um, woke thinking can be at times seemingly very incoherent, and that's why that's when we talk about the the turf movement, about uh, you know, J.K. Rowling being a feminist, but you know not being feminist enough for her to be saved. And I think why this is happening is because there is some kind of coherence despite that apparent um, disagreement but coherence is we need to break down the norm we need to break down um, what is the norm within a society and to that extent I think the figure, the figure of the trans has been a much more radical concept a much more a concept which is much more useful to deconstruct the norm than this concept and what Rodrigo said is I think what unites this movement is a hate of um, well, Rodrigo said a hate of kind of the West. Um, Brice is a liberal, so he said he said a hate of liberal societies. But either way, the coherence is in the thing they oppose. And what is really interesting, this is where we wrote an article in the American Mind last um, November called the uh, Woke Islamist Nexus. And the reason we wrote this is because I was quite struck when I read a communique from um, Erdogan, president of Turkey where he essentially sounded like some kind of woke student activist, where he said that Europe was being structurally racist and all those kind of buzzwords I've only really heard on American campuses and increasingly in European campuses, all of a sudden were recycled under the pen of Erdogan. Uh, whether that's cynical, I do not know, but he kind of understands this kind of fault and he can find, he can make a alliance, a uh, objective alliance, where those people who also have for enemy um, for West or liberal democracy, depending whether you're more of a conservative, more of a, uh, of a liberal. Yeah, and I think there's another interesting uh, moment in this conversation, which was when um, Brice started talking about how the Macron government has been staunchly anti-woke. Um, I, I, I don't know. Macron has his moments. 
At times, he is indeed uh, very clearly anti-woke and his fight against the New York Times, against uh, the FT editorial, sorry, op-ed on uh, Islamism, um, where he punched back against. Um, all of these are examples of a Macron government being kind of based, if you wanted to use the anti-woke parlance. But it's not very, he's not very clear on those topics. Um, Rodrigo talked about white privilege, uh, how Macron defended or said there was a white privilege. And I think white privilege is one of the most toxic concepts because the reason I do not like this word at all, there, there might be some discriminations against non-white people. I, I don't disagree with that. But the problem with white privilege is the idea that the way white people are treated, aka not being discriminated by the police, not being discriminated to find um, uh, uh, housing or stuff like that, it's the idea that that kind of behavior is actually a privilege. And you know what we do with privileges? We abolish them. We abolish privileges. And I refuse the idea that the way normal people should be treated in, in, in normal society should be seen under the lens of privilege. It is not a privilege. There is a, uh, what is happening is people are not treated equally. But that does not mean the way white people are treated is a privilege. There is no advantage given to white people in the sense that there is some kind of privilege that we should be.